Got to listen to Jason Reed instead of turning on my mic, see? So, anyway, I guess that's a good thing. If you're listening to the Bible being read, that's about as good a reason to forget to do something as anything I know. But it is great to see each of you here. Uh, it's wonderful we can be together on this first day of the week to worship, praise, honor, and glorify God, and here to encourage and strengthen our brethren, here to have fellowship, uh, and be charged up again to get out in the world and remain faithful and spread that message to a world that needs it so much. Let me remind you, I don't have one of the cards up here, but there are some cards back there. <clears throat> Two more uh, weeks, Lord willing, will be another uh, friend and family day, the last uh, Sunday of this month, and uh, yours truly will be speaking this time. <clears throat> and then the plan is for the last Sunday in August, um, Jordan Pugh should be here to speak with us and for us that week. And speaking of him at camp, he's looking forward to it and excited. I said, well, we're not very excited, but we'll put up. <laughs> no, we're excited to have him too. So that's a good, you know, the Bible's interesting. If you, if you look at the Bible, it gives uh, two extremes quite often to make a point. Uh, hot and cold, light and dark, saved and lost saint and sinner, a slave, and you want me to keep going? I mean, there's a bunch of them. It's always showing you both sides, and that's pretty much how it is with God. It's you're either in or you're out. And so it's kind of interesting, this passage we're about to look at, working our way through Titus now, the last two verses of Titus chapter 1, he's going to talk about the pure and the defiled. The pure and the defiled. And he uses some strong words in this verse. Um, so he's trying to understand. Let me make sure we understand this. You and I are either pure or we're defiled. There's no middle ground. Pure or defiled. I've been in both of those situations. Pure and I've been defiled. And I think about how important that is. We're going to look... Because of the order it comes in, I would rather do the defiled first and end with the pure on the positive. We're going to take it in the order it's written in pure. What does that word pure mean? Well, if you go back to the original language, it has the idea of clean, blameless, or innocent. Pure. Clean. Well, I've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Blameless. Since he forgave my sins, I no longer have to take the blame of that sin he bore it on the cross. Innocent, well, I've been made perfect before him as though I'd never sinned, and now I found innocent. Now, I'm not clean of my own self, and I'm not innocent of my own self, and I'm not blameless of my own. If you're just going to look at Kendall, guilty, guilty, guilty. So we're going to have to look and see what he's got to say here. But if you would follow with me, looking back as Jason just read for us, to the pure, all things are pure. Now, I tell you what people want to do with that. See, I mean, as long as it's good for me, it's good. No, no, you didn't listen to what it says. To the pure, all things are pure. Well, what if the pure takes place in the defiled? They're no longer pure, are they? So it doesn't say the pure would participate in the defiled, or you move to the latter part of this verse and the next verse. Pure. To the pure. So I want us to look at a few things in the Bible 
how this word is used and what it's sent to apply to many times, I guess, first of all, just turn with me uh, over to the next chapter here in Titus. Uh, Lord willing, as we move on into Titus chapter 2, we're going to have everybody in this room is mentioned in Titus chapter 2. Do you know that? Either you're an older man or an older woman or you're a younger woman or a younger man. You're one of those. And middle age is old. Okay, so you don't get to use middle age as an excuse. No. Let's look at this a little bit. So we're going to get into that as we go. But I want you to see something here in uh, Titus 2 and verse 5. As it talks to the older women, um, New American standards, so that they may encourage, I still like, I believe the King James says train. That's it, teacher train. The young women to do what? Well, I just want you to see this. Those young women got to be taught to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible. And the word I want to look at, they got to be taught to be pure. If they're not taught to be pure, then they're not going to know to be pure. Does the world understand purity? Well, how can that which is defiled get a grasp on anything that's pure? And... You know, you look at that, and you think, well, it's not that bad. You know, I'm kind of like that on some things. You drop food on the floor, and there's just one little piece of dirt on it. Let's wipe it off and eat it. Some people go berserk. Well, it depends on what the food is and what floor it fell on, whether I'm going to eat it. But anyway, you look at that. No, nah, that's no good anymore. And if you don't believe that, when you get your food, let me know, and I'll take it outside and flip a little dirt on it, bring it back in here, and you eat your food. No, Kendall, I'm not eating it now. It's got dirt all over it. Ah, uh, you can eat between the dirt. No, it's not good anymore. It's defiled. Well, you think that's bad. Well, how about if I just had a little bit of arsenic? Just a little bit. It won't kill you. You'll get a bellyache. It'll take me giving you every Sunday for a few Sundays before it kills you because it'll stay in your system. No, it's defiled. Now, that seems simple to understand in that analogy, doesn't it? Well, it should be easy to understand than this. To the pure... All things are pure. Why? Because they're pure. They're not going to participate, and they're not going to partake in that which is defiled. Godly people live godly lives. Did you hear me? I always get frightened when people say, well, we're all sinners. I'm no sinner. Now, you didn't hear me say I didn't sin. But I'm no sinner, because I'll tell you what, I know what the Bible says. Sinners are going to hell. I'm a saint. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. So I used to be a sinner. I used to live a life of sin. I still at times sin, but I'm a saint. I walk in the light. I see himself as in the light. So we have, so I, you won't catch me saying, well, I, we're all sinners. I don't say that. We've all sinned. I'll say that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Just say it the way the Bible says it. Because those who are pure don't participate in that which is defiled. So even older women, so you got to figure out if you're one of them. Or have to teach younger women. Now, I will point this out real quick even before we get to it. Did you notice whose responsibility is to teach younger women? It didn't say the preacher. It didn't say the elders. It didn't say the men. It says older women. So if our young women don't know what's right, you know who fell through and taught teaching them? Uh-oh, now I'm starting quit from preaching. Went to meddling, didn't I? We'll get back to that, Lord willing. Let's look at another one. Turn with me over to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1 and verse 27. He goes in that passage and says we're to, depending on the translation, I'll probably quote it from the King James, that we're to visit, and that doesn't necessarily mean take a visit, it means take care of, get, take care of their needs. Visit widows and orphans in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is pure, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. Wow, so pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, does it demand anything of me? Taking care of people can't take care of themselves. It didn't say giving thanks to people so they can sponge off of you. Taking care of people can't take care of themselves. And do not, here we get the pure thing, be unstained by the world. When we get to the idea of defiled, one of the things defiled means is stained. So if you become stained by the world, I've told the story many times, it's just the best analogy I know, you might have heard it before, but it's the best analogy I know. When, when I was a kid and we were at church services and, you know, I was wearing whatever was my good clothes there and my mom said, now don't go out and play with those boys and get those pants all stained up from the grass. Don't go out there and play with them. You can go out and watch them and don't play with them. Well, somehow when I got in the car, mom said, why'd you play with those boys? What do you mean? See them grass stains on your knees? You don't get those from watching. Okay? Man, my mom, she was right on me. Wasn't she? Couldn't she give me a break? No, those pants were clean before. Now guess what? They're stained. See how easy it is to go from pure to defiled? Wow. So I probably would have been best if I just stayed inside, wouldn't I? Because evil companions corrupt good and moral. If they're playing in the grass, guess what? I'm telling you, when kids are little boy, I'm playing in the grass, and I'm playing in it harder and better than they did. That's just, I mean, that's just, that's how we are. And so we look, and he says, this is pure and undefiled religion inside of God to take care of people who can't take care of themselves, and it doesn't stop there. You've got to keep yourself unstained. In other words, you've got to keep pure. That purity, is it talking about in our morals? Is it talking about in ethics? Is it talking about in speech? You need me to cover it all? It talk, it's everything. People need to see a pure, righteous example of Christianity. We need to have that purity. Look at another one that uses the word pure. I thought that this is a good... Uh, Verse over in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, like newborn babes, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Huh. Well, this little baby needs milk. Well, this has been soured for about a week, but it'll be okay. How's that going to work for that baby? Pure milk of the word. Pure people, listen to me, babies and all, pure people feed on what? The pure milk of the word. And that's the only way you have salvation. What if I leave something out of it? Is it pure? What if I add something to it? Is it pure? People always try and tell me the Bible says this. I said, well, where? I mean, I got people telling me all kinds. I just talked to a guy on the phone the other day about something else. I said, the Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, you know that. I said, well, you find the verse and you let me know. So he said, I said, you're looking at it on your phone while you're talking to me, aren't you? You're going to find out it's not in there. It does not exist. 
I said, if it exists, I want to see it. So you call me back later. I still haven't heard from him. You know why? Because it isn't there. So now we don't have the pure, we have something that's defiled. You know, it's not the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It is not the inspired Word of God. And we've got to make sure when we preach the truth, that's exactly what we do. So being pure so that all that we do is pure and everything to us is pure, we have to be taught that. We have to practice a religion that helps others, but also keeps us from being transformed or being conformed to the world, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Look at another one. I like this one pretty well. Uh, over here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. I wish we had time to back up and look at this whole chapter, but we don't. For everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Who's the he here? Jesus Christ. How pure is Jesus? Well, Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says he was tempted in all ways as we are. Here's how he's different. Yet he did not sin. I've been tempted. Sometimes I didn't sin, but I've been tempted when I have sinned. And so I'm dirty. I deserve whatever I would get. But I know, like Romans 6.23 says, the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ His Son. So I, I think about this passage here, and it says you got to fix your hope on you. You, can, you. you don't stand a chance. I don't stand a chance. All of our hope is on Jesus. If Jesus isn't who the Bible says He is, if Jesus isn't who He said He is, we don't have any hope. The whole world is going to hell. We don't have Jesus. He's the only hope we have. So my purification is totally dependent upon His purity. What do you need me to do, Lord? So, you know, um, His commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because whatever He'd ask me to do is a walk in the park compared to what He's done for me. So whatever He calls me to do, just let me do it. Well, I don't have time. Make time. You got time? You, you know how much time you, you do, listen to this. Do you know how much time you have? You have however much time, listen, that God has given you. So whose time was it before you got it? It was God's to start with. And we better use it in ways that please Him. Uh, oh, there's so many I'd like to look at. I guess when I think about that idea of all of our hope being in Jesus, I think about John 15 and, and verse 5, when Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. So you look at that, I'm going to read one more passage on this point, but I want to remind you again back here to verse 15 of Titus 1 before I turn to a passage in Philippians. He says, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. How much is pure to the defiled? Nothing. As soon as they touch it, it's defiled. As soon as they touch it, as soon as they have anything to do, you're defiled, therefore what you touch is defiled. That, that really doesn't seem that hard to understand, does it? So let's think about this idea to the pure, all things are pure. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Many of us know this uh, passage well, but I'm going to slow down instead of just rattling it off. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. 
Now, pay attention to the whole passage, but pay special attention to pure. He says, finally, brethren, that's his finally, not my finally. We're not about done with the sermon, okay? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise. He just covered a ton of stuff, didn't he? Dwell on the, this is what you need to be thinking about. The right things, the true things, the pure things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. It sounds like the writer here seems to be a good example. Practice these things. Practice. Every time I read practice, I know it means a, a lifestyle following. But when I read practice, I think back to when I was a kid and playing sports. You know what? From the time I was a kid, always I hated practice. I mean, I hated it. I hated it. I hate it. Coach, make you run. Coach, make you do this. Man, it's just, I hate to practice. So why do I do it? Because game day is coming, and you can't play in the game if you didn't show up to practice. So just so you can get in the game, I'll put up with the practice. You know why I'm living this Christian life? It isn't always enjoyable, but heaven's a coming. And so I'm going to take whatever lumps he gives on the way because heaven's coming, and it's beyond any of my wildest dreams in greatness and glory. Wow. So we look at this, he says, he goes on in this verse and says, and the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> now, let me ask you just a couple of questions. How important was it when Moses went back to talk to Pharaoh the first time that he knew God was with him? Did God definitely give him some ideas that he was going to be with him in a burning bush? But the bush never burned up? Yeah, I'll be with you. When the children of Israel come up to the Red Sea, how important was it was God was with them? And did he part a Red Sea so that... Huh. One of my favorites, you guys know I like to use several of these examples you use because they just stand up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, if God chooses to save us, he will. But whether he saves us or not, we're not bound down. They walked into that furnace with God. They walked out of that furnace with God. David, when he went down to fight Goliath, he went down to fight Goliath because he knows I'm better than anybody the Philistines got. I can take him. He's no problem. You know, David really didn't go down to fight Goliath. David went down for God to give him Goliath. He, had, he says today, God will deliver you to me. You don't even under, you're, you're blind. You only see by sight and I'm here by faith. That last phrase is so important. The God of peace will be with you. If you dwell on these things, that's what you got to think of. Does the world try to get us to think about all kinds of other garbage, all kinds of other stuff, other things they try to, we try to, it tries to get us to lose focus on what's important. And we think other things are important. I don't care what you attain here. Let's say you become a billionaire by the end of this month. Something happens, you become a billionaire. But to do it, it's kind of like a silly song, but when I was a kid, I think 1979 is when they come out, the devil went down to Georgia. He planned for that fiddle of gold against his soul. That was a stupid 
thing to take, wasn't it? Well, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people would put their soul at risk for gold and do every day. Well, I'm going to tell you what, even if you get all the gold in the world and you have to spend eternity in hell, you lose. Life is a vapor that appears for a little while, James wrote, and it's going to vanish away. Wow. Let's go on. Defiled. Wow, that's what you wanted to hear, wasn't it? But we do have to think about the other side because it's real. And he says, to the defiled, to the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Do we hear people telling us things that are true that aren't true? Do we hear people think things of the Bible? Well, that was for way back then. It doesn't apply to us today. Let's just pick an easy one. You talk about going back to Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 especially. When Jesus was asked about putting their wife away, divorcing their wife, where she's going? From the beginning, it was not so. And he quotes Genesis. Hmm. One man, one woman, till death do you part. While God joins together, let no man put asunder. Does the world tell us, well, yeah, that. But you can also do, no, that's what God, that's what God said it was. That's the rules God gave. If that's the rules God gave, guess what rules we're playing by, whether we understand it or not. And so I think about this. You read on the next verse. They profess to know God. Oh, yeah, I love God. Oh, praise the Lord. And I, used, I tease people with a little song I heard when I was a kid. I don't even know where it come from. It was off a radio station. I can give you the whole jingle of the radio station. I didn't like it, but my dad had it on at the shop all the time. But I had this little song said, I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus. You know, other people live like it. As long as they got their little statue, as long as they got their little neck, as long as they got their cross. Where you come up with this stuff? Can you give me a book, chapter, and verse for that? See, they say they know God. Well, what's he say? But by their deeds, they deny him. Did Jesus really say this? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did Jesus really say that? Yeah, over in John 14, 15. Now, let me tell you what. If Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If I don't keep his commandments, what's the problem? I don't care if you say you love the Lord or not. You're, you, you are lying through your teeth. Because he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So defiled. And you look at this, and he says, now he's detestable, that's quite a word, and disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. That's what all of you want to hear, isn't it? Uh, I think about the parable of talents, the one talent man who didn't use it. He tells him he's lazy and worthless. That's about fighting words, isn't it? But I also think about detestable. But I think about defiled here. The word defiled literally means to die. D-Y-E. So you dye something from one color to another color. It's not the same color as it was. And it can also um, mean to die with another color. It can mean stained or it can mean polluted. That's what defiled is. None of them sound like something you really want to be known for. Well, I tell you what, oh, Kim over here, she's the most defiled person. She would not appreciate. She's not. And she would not appreciate. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Hmm. 
No, that's no compliment. That's not what we long to, to hear or long to do. And I, I think about a few passages that deal with the idea of people or situations where people were or how we become defiled. Turn to one in the New Testament earlier in, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, and go down and look at verse 15. Now, first of all, in verse 14, it says, Now the Pharisees, were they religious people? Well, man, they wore good-looking suit jackets and maybe a tie with a caribou on. I mean, they were dressed to the... T I mean, they, they played the part. They looked about as religious as anybody could. And they talked a good religious language, didn't they? They sounded good. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money... Do anybody get people get wrapped up into Christianity or the Bible or some form, maybe it's not a pure form, to make money or to their advantage monetarily? They were listening to all the things that and were scoffing him. And he said to them, Here you go. You are those who justify yourself in the sight of men. You know, when, you, when you're a preacher, people try to tempt you with that all the time. Well, if you just say this, you keep everybody happy or keep the important people happy and everything and run smooth. Either don't say anything on this matter or do say this and it isn't what it teaches. You know, a lot of preachers fall to that temptation because it's peaceful and monetarily it's good for the pocketbook. Hmm. That's kind of what's happening here. And they're lovers of money. And he says, here you are. You're trying to justify yourselves in the sight of men. But here's what it says. But God knows your hearts. Does God know every person's heart in this room? Does he know why we're here? Well, I'm, I'm here today because if I didn't, Tammy would make it hard to live with her. That's not why. There's some people are there because of that. I've known people like that. I'm here today because i got to look good to people. There's people for that reason too, isn't there? He says, I know your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable to God. It's an abomination. That which is highly esteemed to men is nasty to God. Just because a man thinks it looks good, just because it looks beneficial. You know, let's, let's, you know, I use this all the time. Um... I love to sing with the brethren, but I'm not trying to be mean, but none of us are going to sign a big dollar singing contract anytime soon. I think we all sound good, and I'm not really worried about how I sound to you. I want to sound good to him. But you know, a lot of places get them either a keyboard or some drums or a guitar or whatever, uh, because they say it makes it sound better. Well, you mean it covers up the singing. That's what they mean. Okay? And... It sounds better to who? You know me, and I'm not meaning to be sacrilegious. I believe this communion deserves great thought and great respect. But this unleavened bread, kind of dry. And I mean, I don't keep much of it at home for a snack. How about you? But 
I do think if you put covered that thing, lathered it up with peanut butter, I'd like it better. Because I love peanut butter. I mean, I love peanut butter. So to me, it would be a lot better, taste better, if you put peanut butter on that. But that's not what God said, is it? How is putting peanut butter on that any different than putting a piano or a guitar along with He said to sing. Matter of fact, he tells you what to play. You're to play, make melody in your heart to the Lord. Anything else is adding something. Just do what he said do. It's that simple. That's why we use unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine and nothing else. That's why we sing, lift our voices in songs of praise to Him. If we had time, we'd look at all those things. So important. So just because it appeals to man, I don't want to make enemies with people, but I've got to be concerned, is it right in the sight of God and pure in the sight of God? Let's look at another one. Um, turn with me back to the long letter of Jude. Go back to Jude, next to the last book of the New Testament. Jude, and go down to verse 7. Now, I want to get to verse 8, but I want to get to verse 7 for a reason, because of the society we live in. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in the undergoing of the punishment of eternal fire. Does that seem about as plain as it can get? And people want to argue about that today. I'm telling you, this is what, this is what God did. He did it all the way back there in the Old Testament. Here it is, quoted in the New Testament. It says, yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, they dream up stupid stuff, defile the flesh, there's that defile, and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. They dream up ways to defile, to go against God. They come up crazy. You know, just in Ben's class, and we talked a little bit afterwards, because I'm not always in it, but... <clears throat> um, boy, every time I hear on TV about something being a million years old, it's kind of like fighting words to me. You just, what you did, you just said God didn't do it. That's all you said. You can argue it all you want, but you just said God didn't do it. And you say God didn't do it the way the Bible says He did it for sure. Now, you just defiled the truth. You defiled the whole Bible. And what you taught is impure. And if you believe that stuff, nothing you do is pure. You're impure. I don't make it up. We're just looking at it there in Titus chapter 1, aren't we? So how important is it to be pure? It's so important that without it, we don't, aren't pure enough to make it to the eternal home in heaven. A few more verses. Go with me uh, real quick. I'm going to run over. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 15. It's a passage we've looked at uh, here recently. I think even on Wednesday night we looked at it a little bit. Matthew chapter 15. And it says, that which proceeds from the mouth defiles a man. You know why? Because it comes from your heart. If you cuss all the time, it's because you got a filthy heart. If you lie all the time, it's because you got a filthy heart. If you deceive people all the time, it's because you, you need me to keep going. He says, what comes out of your mouth says a lot. And you'll be judged by what comes out of your mouth. 
Now, here's what I think we need to remember, though, as I start to wrap some of this up. Turn with me to another passage, and then the other ones, well, I'm going to turn to one of them. The other ones I'll just mention. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7, listen here in verse 1. I think it's, it's important to remember this. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now let me ask you, has God gave an avenue, given an avenue for defilement to be cleansed? That's what it says. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. You know, when I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, when I come out of watery grave of baptism, do you know that just like um, Acts twenty two sixteen says, my sins were washed away? I was defiled when I went in. I was pure when I come out. Wow. You know, since I've become a Christian, there's times where I fell back into sin and had to come before brethren and confess my sin and ask them to forgive me and for God to forgive me. And I was taken before God's throne in prayer and I was cleansed again because he's faithful. Wow. Does God want us to be pure? He gave his only begotten son on a tremendously terrible thing called the cross after being beat within an inch of his life even before he was hung on it so I could be pure. How, I think how angry God must be if I don't take advantage of that. And how hurt that would make it. Ken, I did, I did this for you. What, what else could I do? What I ask you to do is so small compared to what I've done for you and what my son's done for you. What is your problem? Wow. He wants us to cleanse us from our defilement. You know, over in Romans chapter 14, he's talking about the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, the eating of meat not sacrificed to idols, keeping some days. He's talking about areas of opinion and certain things there in Romans 14. But then he says something very substantial at the end of verse 23. Here it is. You can look, and you can look how it applies in the whole context. The context is really 14 and 15 of Romans. But... He says, if it's not a faith, it's sin. If it's not a faith, what's that mean? If I'm not sure, because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God just a few chapters earlier. So you tell them, we're going to do this. Well, I'm not sure the Bible says we can do that. Well, if I'm not sure the Bible allows me to do that, gives me permission to do it, then what should I do until I know I have the authority of the Bible to do it? I'm not, I'm not sure it's right. Well, I'm not sure it's wrong. Well, I'm not sure it's right. It could be wrong, but I'm not sure it's right. So until I'm sure that's what it says, I'm not doing it because it would be sin. So you got to study the Bible. Well, where's it saying in here? Let me see what it says. Where's it say you can do that? Where's it say you should do that? So this pure and defilement thing, who decides what's pure? God did. Who decides what's defiled? God did. He gave us a book. Raise your hand if you can read. Go ahead. Look, just, I don't hardly see anybody. Maybe some little kids. You can read. So you have no excuse for not knowing what God says is pure and what he says is defiled. So don't tell me you didn't know. If you don't know, you chose not to know. That's so important. Purity and defilement. 
One more passage I want to read, and then we'll end with a passage you guys know well. But turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. I, I was about left this out, and I said I can't. So if it takes me over, uh, just don't eat dessert. That'll get you through the line faster. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to pick up at verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and no root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by it many be defiled. Root of bitterness. So that root of bitterness, it's the idea of strife. If I bring strife in the church, can it defile many? You guys remember 1 Corinthians 5? What's a little leaven do? A little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. He says, so we have to help people. I have to be pure. I have to help others in this not coming short. So I, we have to help one another. And we have to live in a way so that we help no one to be defiled, that we help everyone stay on the straight and narrow, and to know the truth and practice the truth so they can be pure. So all they do is pure. Oh, how important it is. So we talk about the extremes from one side to the other. On this side we have pure, and on this side we have defiled. And in the middle you don't have anything. So you got pure and defiled, and they butt up together, and it's just pure and defiled. Think about this one last passage before we get ready to sing an invitation song. You guys know it. It's found over in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, there's two ways. There's two ways. You're on one of these two ways. There's only two ways. There's a broad, easy way. You know where it leads? The Bible says to destruction. The broad, easy way leads to destruction. The eternal word for that is called hell. The straight and narrow, straight's not straight like an arrow. It's like the straight in a sea. It's difficult. If you don't stay in the middle, it'll bust your ship up and you'll sink. The straight and narrow way, well, what's it say about it? It leads to life. Here's what you need to see. How many stay pure? pure? Only if, are you part of the few? Are you part of the many? Are you pure or are you defiled? We're going to sing this invitation song, God has given you an avenue to be cleansed before Him. Don't leave here today without taking opportunity of it if you're not in a pure state right now. If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.